The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Are you going to do the exact same thing in 2019 as you did in 2018, but this year it's going to go better? Let me give you some advice. Go over to instantquotetool.com. Whether you're an individual agent or you're an ISO, think about adding some technology to the equation to shorten your sales cycle time, improve your prospecting, and provide professional quotes to your prospects. Head over to instantquotetool.com slash podcast and check out our free 30-day trial. So today we're speaking with uh, Mark Shermanero of uh, Rapid Advance. Uh, Mark is Chief Revenue Officer, and Rapid Advance is one of us in a small army of alternative lenders that have emerged to serve small businesses of all types. And uh, I think we, we'd agree this is not a market well served by traditional bank lenders. So uh, I th- I, I'm really excited to hear what Mark has to say today. Um, so Mark... Can you tell us, you know, just before we get started, how about a little bit about yourself, your background, what brought you to Rapid Advance, and what your role is there? Sure. Well, first and foremost, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. My pleasure. Um, Yeah. uh, I grew up in New Jersey and went to college at Georgetown University in D.C., where I studied uh, political science, which, you know, was a great experience. Uh, I had the opportunity to intern in the U.S. Senate, intern in the White House while in college, and get a first-hand uh, view of the American political system. But while I was in college, I also interned at Morgan Stanley, which is my first foray into finance. Uh-huh. Um, when I graduated in 2001, uh, I went to work for Morgan and eventually got into management there. Uh, at the time, an individual who I worked with uh, and had become close friends with left Morgan to be one of the first employees at Rapid. And as the company began to map out its future, they actually brought me on as director of sales in 2007. Uh, to build out their sales infrastructure and really work with them in their go-to-market strategy. Uh, at the time, Rapid was only around 15 employees, so right. it was uh, it was still very much a startup. Um, you know, I was in fintech before it actually had a name. Right. Uh, you know, from there, uh, I was promoted to uh, SVP of sales and marketing. Uh, worked on our direct-to-client strategy, uh, which actually included overseeing our first entry into a national TV campaign, uh, which was a lot of fun. It was very stressful, particularly because it hadn't been done in our space before, mm-hmm. so there was no real proof that it would work. Right. Um, in, in, in 2013, uh, I was promoted to chief revenue officer, uh, really overseeing the front-end operations of our business. And a lot of my focus today is on revenue con- creation, uh, both near and long-term, uh, expanding into new markets, and overseeing our partner network. Okay. Well, you know, perhaps for folks that are new to the business or even pros who may not be familiar, maybe it'd be good if you could discuss for us how non-traditional lenders like Rapid Advance have emerged, um, you know, and, 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 and what, the, what the role is with small businesses, the role that you play. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. You know, it, capital has always been very difficult for small businesses to access. Right. You know, many believe that our industry purely grew out of the Great Recession – but we were one of the few companies operating before the recession. Right, uh, right. And access to capital was, was a big limitation then. Um, mm-hmm. You know, small businesses were having a difficult time even then getting capital to grow. Uh, you know, the re- recession did create an even bigger need for non-traditional lenders to help fill a void when banks and other lending institutions stopped lending. Right. But even as banks and, and others opened back up, you know, small businesses found that the convenience, the speed, and Really, more importantly, the efficiency in which they could get capital from non-traditional lenders uh, as, a, as a better alternative or even a great complement to traditional financing. 
you know, one of the misperceptions is that our type of financing is only for individuals who can't get financing from small businesses, for, from traditional lenders. Right. That is a big market that we service, but many of our clients uh, actually have financing from traditional lenders. And we actually partner with banks and asset-based lenders and other traditional lenders to provide more options to their clients. So it's, you know, it's, it's been an interesting uh, dynamic and just the access to capital. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at it, non-traditional lending has opened up also where small businesses can access capital. You know, when right. you, you now have companies that offer services to small businesses, now helping them to get financing for their businesses. And credit card processors, you know, is definitely one of them. Um, so it's, you really have now changed the dynamics where small businesses can actually get financing from their business where historically they were very limited where they had to go to their bank or some other traditional lender, they're now finding their service providers getting them capital for their business to help them grow, which is helping that accessibility aspect of of financing. Hey, Mark, I have a question for you. So with these businesses that are getting uh, financing from you guys, what is kind of the percentage of these businesses that are developing a long-term relationship with your lending institution versus, you know, okay, they just need, you know, a loan this one time. You know, I've seen a lot of this dynamic with, uh, you know, small business financing where, you know, there's a lot of kind of repeat business of coming back and getting, you know, financing over and over again. What's been that dynamic for you guys? How much repeat business do you have? We have a tremendous amount, roughly about, uh, probably about 80% of our clients uh, take additional capital wow. from rapid advance. You look at our portfolio you know, even with shorter-term working capital, our client is an average uh, is a client for about an average of at least three and a half to four years. Um, so you really see a very long life cycle in the client engagement with the small business. And part of that is when they, you know, when they utilize the capital, they see that they can use it for their business expansion, for their right. operation expa- uh, expenses, and really use it very dynamically. And in addition, they can still access more traditional capital. So it's not necessarily just a stepping stone. We right. have individuals that have it for a singular transaction, that one-time need right. of an inventory purchase or some other aspect. Right. Uh, but really, most clients are an ongoing client of Rapid Advance. Yeah. Do, do you see that as like a, a differentiator between like traditional financing? Because, you know, I feel like a lot of businesses, they look at it as, you know, you go get an, uh, you know, a small business loan if, you know, you want to buy a building or, you know, do a major uh, purchase or something. Whereas I think they look at some of the newer entrants like you guys and, and kind of the fintech world as providing more of that recurring, almost like a credit line, you know, rather than a one-time loan, it's a, it's a relationship with a company that provides capital on the spot when you need it. Is that, is that an accurate description of kind of one of the big differences between the traditional versus the, the cash advance or rapid advance, uh, that, that kind of uh, quick funding world? Absolutely. I think one of the things that that drives us to always focus on is client experience, because we know that the typical client is going to utilize our capital on an ongoing basis. And right. it's not very difficult for a small business to find other off other entities that offer our type of financing. You just go right online. So we're really focused on driving experience for the client that will keep them working with us on an ongoing basis. And I think that's one of the differences in the dynamic between traditional lenders, to your point, and companies like ours, is that being the fact that we keep our capital on shorter durations, which allows small businesses to utilize it similar to that type of line of credit concept sure. and really dictate on an ongoing basis what type of uh, lending uh, solution they'd like. Would they like something that's six months because they have a, a shorter need or a seasonality need or something that may be a little bit longer like an 18-month type loan because they need a larger dollar amount and want to spread out the repayment over a longer term. So some of that flexibility and them being able to customize 
that's a very empowering thing to a small business because now they feel that they're part of the capital solution, not somebody just giving them, here's money for your business. So it is an ongoing relationship aspect. Can you, um, would you mind, Mark, describing what uh, the products and services are? I mean, it's, it's, as I understand it, it, what you offer is more than just a standard merchant cash advance. There are other products and and lending products and, uh, you know, capital um, funding, you know, funding options. Would you mind describing those for us? No, 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 absolutely. You know, we we obviously offer the the merchant cash advance. That's the product that the company was originally built around. Um, You know, the merchant cash advance is a purchase and sale of future credit card receivables with an estimated duration. But, you know, the unique thing about it is the way that the small business pays us back is through a percentage of their credit card sales. Right. So the, the repayment structure ebbs and flows with the small business where if they hit a slow period in their business for either seasonality or some other reason, they're not in a cash crunch because now they have a fixed structured repayment and their revenue has dipped. Yeah. It really goes the ebbs and flows almost like an equity investment, but they're not giving up any controlling interest in their business. So it's a great flexible tool for small business to utilize. We also offer a term uh, installment loan product that is, you know, a that is a more structured loan product. It has a finite duration, it has a fixed daily or weekly repayment structure and a lot of times when individuals hear that there's a daily or weekly repayment, it's very strange to them because they're used to more the traditional monthly payment. But one of the things that small businesses historically have had difficulty with is certain elements around cash management. And one of the things they would have difficulties with with traditional loans is allocating some of the capital in their bank account to make a large monthly payment. Mm-hmm. And that becomes very difficult when they're trying to manage their business. By condensing down the payments to a daily or even a weekly, they know that the capital in their business is there for them to utilize because you're paying the same amount as you would on a monthly, but with it coming out in smaller increments smaller on a increments. daily basis, right. it actually helps with the cash management of a business because they're not trying to hold aside some money saying, well, I got to have the money to make a payment at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. So it creates better cash management at times for small businesses as well. And then we also offer a line of credit product. Um, you know, which gives a little bit more flexibility uh, in the ability to draw off of the financing aspect and create more flexibility where they're only utilizing certain portions of it. But, you know, one of the things that we really focused on in as, as coming out of the economic crisis was we really wanted to be a solution-oriented company. We didn't want to just sell a singular product. And by offering multiple solutions, what that enables us to do is to sit down with a client do much more of a needs-based analysis, get an understanding of what they're looking to utilize the capital for, mm-hmm. and then sit down and recommend specific products or solutions or give them a selection of solutions that may best fit their business. We're not trying to convince them that, oh, well, this one solution is going to be the thing that's going to solve what you need, and maybe it's really not. We could sit down with them and find the right solution that's going to help their business, either from a cost perspective, a repayment perspective or duration perspective, which, again, involves the client in the decision-making process around the capital that they're getting for their business. So it, it, it's really much more of a consultative process, kind of like the business it's, has, has really become, wouldn't you say? Um, Absolutely. It, yeah. it is a very, very consultative process. You know, even our, our internal people who work with our clients, they're called business advisors. Mm-hmm. You know, we really want them focusing on that consultative sales approach, working with the client to find the right solution. And 
that's one of the things that's really empowered us with our partners. You know, our business since 2007 has really worked within the partner space. That's a large portion of what our business is. You know, we have over 3,500 partners that are working with us and offering our capital solution to their small business clients. A large part of that is credit card processors. And, you know, really our, our organization actually grew alongside the credit card processing industry back in 2007. Mm-hmm. You know, we, it was, you know, it, it was, they were one of the early adopters of the um, non-traditional lending uh, capital solution because, you know, at, at that time, uh, you know, we were able to fill a void that had been created just in the overall changes in the business where, you know, our product was a value-add solution that worked directly with the core client of the processors, a small business, it helped prevent attrition because at the time, you know, the MCA contract, the merchant wasn't able to change processors. It was actually a breach of contract. Right. So it helped on the attrition side with processors. Right. And at that time, also, the leasing business had begun to kind of take a downturn. And this was a whole new revenue stream for processors, ISOs, and agents to now be able to offset what they were seeing in, uh, uh, and replace that financing, that revenue stream. Hey, let me ask you one question, Mark. So I'm thinking about, you know, you're talking about how it's becoming more consultative and, you know, the business advisor role and things like that. And so just to kind of look at it from a different angle, I'm curious your thoughts. You know, when you look at competitors like, let's say, Stripe, Square, QuickBooks Online, where they've kind of gone the opposite direction, meaning that, you know, access to capital is now so easy. You know, the other day I got a um, an, an email from a Stripe account that we had had like a year ago for recurring revenue that was continuing to have revenue. And it was literally a, you know, click this one button to get, you know, $10,000 or whatever. And I know Square and QuickBooks do the same thing. So how do you see your approach playing into that? Are you guys also making ways for maybe a processor to send an email out to all of their merchants based on their volume or something that gives them a quick offer? Or is that not really in line with your business because you want it to be more of a consultative, like one-on-one interaction? We, we actually employ both models. Um, okay. We have That's what I an end-to-end automated model that enables a client who is comfortable and understands this type of capital structure to be able to receive some type of offer or a link go into our, what we call our client journey, enables them to walk through in a fully automated process. They have the ability to contact the business advisor throughout that process. Even sure. in an automated world, we want to make sure there's a secondary level of support yeah. if they do have questions. I like that. But we do have the end-to-end kind of automated, send out an email, be able to click through type aspect to our business. But we also have, you know, which is of the large part, which our business was originally built out of, um, you know, that more consultative approach. And really we want to, be able, and that's one of the unique things about how we can work with our partners is our flexibility. We want to have the business models that will enable the client to interact with us how they see best fit. Not everyone wants to talk to a business advisor. Not everyone wants to go through an automated process. So we're really focused on diversifying our business so we can meet the needs of each client as well as the needs of each partner to make sure that we're optimizing the experience for that client in the manner in which they best see fit, not how we best see fit. Makes sense. So, so you know, I wanted to, you know, wrap this up in a minute, um, asking you for how people can contact you. But first, if you could just give us a sense for how Rapid Advance partners with ISOs and agents. Um, you know, how do what what's the outreach? What's the process? Yeah. No, I mean, this is you know, this is one of the areas where we've really been able to differentiate ourselves from our competitors. You know, one of the things we did when processors really started reengaging our solution 
was bring on someone who really knew the processing space. Uh, Jim Fink joined Rapid in 2014 mm-hmm. as Director of Strategic Partnerships, overseeing our processing relationships. He has over 20 years' experience within the payment space, and he really understands the needs of the ISOs and processors, and he's done a great job in building the channel for us. You know, when we enter into a partnership with a processor or ISO, you know, we're able to have a discussion on how we can best work together. You know, our focus has always been about creating strategic partnerships. We want to go beyond simply being a bolt-on value-add service that our partners offer their clients. When we create a process, a partnership, we look and get an understanding of how our partners interact with their client base, what are their points of interaction with clients, and what is their overall value that they're presenting their client. And we look at all those things and we see how can we align our product and our value add so it's a seamless engagement with their client. You know, we support mm-hmm. our partners by building customized marketing engagements, both via email uh, and direct mail. Some of those emails that you pointed to before where somebody can click through on, right. a, uh, on a link, you know, as well as co-branded landing pages and client journeys. And then we have an internal business advisor team that can walk a client through from end to end. You know, our focus is we want to leverage our resources to help take the heavy lifting off of our partners so mm-hmm. they can focus on integrating our solution into their business model. But we understand we have to be flexible enough to customize a relationship so it fits their business model. What this does is allows them to offer our solution and stay focused on their core business. You know, this has enabled us to be the capital partner of choice of WorldPay, PaySafe, and and others, as well as thousands of other ISOs and agents that we've worked with, you know, to really drive something that gives them a comfort level in the partnership that they are working with, confident in us as a partner to engage with their clients, and really give them the support and leverage off of our infrastructure to make it as seamless and easy and optimized of an experience as possible. Cool. So, well, well, tell us, uh, Mark, uh, for anybody out there who wants to uh – you know, talk with Rapid Advance. Perhaps look into partnering with you. Where, where would what would be their best option? Perhaps uh, to reach you by phone on the web. What would you say? Absolutely. You know, they're always feel always uh, free to call me uh, directly. Uh, my email address is msermonaro at rapidadvance.com. dot uh, com. My direct number is two four zero four eight two four six eight five. I'm always happy to talk to, to partners uh, and discuss what the opportunities are. And then again, in the for the ISOs and agents as well, you know, Jim Fink is, is a great resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his email address is jfink at rapidadvance.com. Uh, he's a great resource to be able to engage with. So we have a team of, of individuals here to support our processors, ISOs, and agents, uh, and we're always happy to have those conversations with them. Well, thank you, Mark. This has been a great conversation we've yeah. had with you here today. So uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to talking with you some more in the future. Thanks, Mark. Oh, likewise. Again, thank you very much for having me. Hey, thank you. Have a great day now. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Alternative lenders see greenfield opportunities in loans to small businesses. And as our interview with Mark of Rapid Advance revealed, there are opportunities for ISOs and agents to leverage their relationships with these companies and to become a source of much-needed capital. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York held a conference on small business lending last summer that offered some interesting insights. Among them, bank lending to small businesses, those with revenues under a million dollars, remain at pre-recession levels and are pretty much flat. Nearly, however, nearly two-thirds of small business loans still come from banks. 
while alternative lenders like merchant cash advance firms and crowdfunding are gaining steam. The most underserved market and where demand seems to be the greatest are for loans in the $100,000 to $500,000 range. Meanwhile, a recent report reveals that new financial technology firms funded nearly $10 billion in online loans to small businesses between 2015 and 2017. That report also revealed that for every $1 lent to small businesses, sales by those businesses increased by $2.31, creating $3.79 in gross output to the local community. That's a pretty. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I was, was actually surprised at the ten billion. That actually seems low to me. You know, it's interesting because <laughs> I'll I'll, sh- I'll I'll share with you in a moment okay. that 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 is low. It is. I was going to say I mean, it's, a, it's you know it sounds like a big number, but I mean in the grand scheme of things, as far as business lending, ten billion is not really. Very yeah, much. because that report, the one that I just mentioned, right? Uh, it was done by NDP Analytics, which is a Washington think tank. Okay. And it was funded by the ETA and right. several trade groups representing lenders. It, it came up with a $10 billion figure for funding by the five leading online lenders, um, you know, during that period. Right. Uh, nearly a third were um, loans made by uh, – the loans that made, were made by fintechs went to small businesses located in lower-income communities. Hmm. About a quarter of those loans were to micro-businesses, you know, ones with less than 100000 sure. Right. Uh, and the average loan amount across all small businesses during that three-year period was fifty-five thousand four hundred ninety-eight dollars. Hmm. Now, okay, here's the other report I was I was thinking okay. about, and this came from the Federal Reserve Board as opposed to the Fed of New York. Okay? Right, right. And it paints a very optimistic picture of the market, suggesting that online loans to small businesses exceeded ten billion dollars in 2017 alone. Oh wow! Okay, that sounds a little more. Does like, that sound more? Yeah, that, that sounds sound, more like what I was thinking it'd be. Yeah, and I mean the comparisons aren't ideal because the fo- the, sm- the Fed small business pool was two million dollars in revenues per year. Okay. Whereas the NDP one was a million, but I think it still is much yeah. more representative. Sure, I would agree with that. Um, now, online lenders utilize three basic business models. There are balance sheet lenders that raise capital and lend money directly, like Rapid Advance. Right. There are online platforms to connect small businesses with lenders or investors, like Lending Club. Right. And then there are pre- payment processing fintechs like Square and PayPal. Right. And they make capital um, loans as well. Right. Now, while online lenders are gaining ground, the Fed report suggests borrower satisfaction rates are lower for these lenders than they are for traditional banks. Okay. Um, more than half of online loan applicants expressed dissatisfaction with the high interest rates, and a third cited unfavorable uh, repayment terms. Quote, that a large share of applicants flagged these issues raised the troubling prospect that many borrowers may not fully understand the cost of credit products they're considering, they wrote, which I think is true. You know, I mean, it happens to consumers. It's going to happen to small businesses as well. Sure. Now, there are some storm clouds um, brewing. Um, You know, by most accounts, merchant cash advances, while still a small share of the overall business lending market, by most estimates, about 10% of small business lending are are these products. Um, These make up the fastest growing category of loans to small businesses. Total merchant cash advances grew from $8.6 billion in in 2014 to over $15 billion 
um, in 2017, according to a few re- estimates. Really? That I came up now, with. that actually does surprise me. I actually assumed that uh, Merchant Cash Advance was declining only because of the switch to the ACH funding where, you know, they're not tying. I mean, because that that segment is definitely growing a lot faster than the Merchant Cash Advance, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah so I that, think so. that number is probably even much more dramatic than that. Because, you know, if there was maybe that much growth there, I'm sure there was massive, massive growth, more growth in, in the ACH, ACH and other, you know, other models of yeah. funding, for but, sure. But it shows you that, you know, there's a huge yeah. demand out there, I think, is, is the thing oh, that yeah. strikes me, you know. Right, right. Um, so, now, there are a lot of advantages to borrowers, which we, we understand, you know. Among them, the minimal paperwork. It's usually, you know, sure. just requires a few months of bank statements and credit card statements. Fast access to the funding, usually within a day or two, mm-hmm. n- and no um, monthly installments, and there's no collateral requirements. Um, also, these lenders don't tend to be uh, scared off by poor or thin credit records, sure. which banks you know would, sure. would run away from. Right. But there are obvious downsides, such as the potential impact on cash flow, since funds are debited from credit card receipts. And they can be costly, with some terms hovering in the triple digits on an annualized basis. Right. Um, these companies uh, avoid the state usury laws because the funds are provided as advances against future receipts. Right. They're buying future money. Right. They're not. They're not borrowing. You're not. They're not they're lending, lending money. Right. They're buying future receivables, basically. And that's a position that's been held up in, uh, in, in courts. Courts. Sure. So. Um, so there are no overarching regulations that cover merchant cash advances, and that has uh, some government officials worried. Uh, as evidence of this, Bloomberg reported uh, just in early December uh, that the New York Attorney General's office has opened an investigation into potential abuses by several as-yet-unnamed mer- merchant cash advance firms. Sure. And that investigation follows news reports published last year by Bloomberg, detailing how some of these firms have been using New York State courts to squeeze small business borrowers. Hmm. At issue are obscure legal documents known as uh, confessions of judgment, um, in which merchants forfeit their rights to defend themselves in court. Hmm. Now, some lenders apparently have been using these to accuse borrowers of not properly repaying advances and then seizing their assets. Between 2012 and 2018, Cash advance companies obtained more than 25,000 such judgments from New York courts and seized an estimated $1.5 billion in customer assets, according to the, Bl- the Bloomberg analysis. Wow, that's a big number. That's a huge number. Goodness. I mean, you, you, do, the, you know, do the math, 25000 into $1.5 billion. <laughs> Well, and just the, just the $1.5 billion number in one state. In one state. That's a lot. That's Even a lot. if it's New York, that's still a lot. Yeah. I mean, borrowers that were interviewed uh, by Bloomberg told stories of lenders forging documents, lying about how much they were owed, and fabricating defaults outright. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, this is, and this isn't the first time New York has gone after companies believed to be abusing its court system. In 2016, the state went after Northern Leasing Systems, alleging that company traps small businesses into never-ending leases on credit card terminals. Right. Yeah. Now, the state argued that Northern was using its courts to go after out-of-state customers who couldn't be there to defend themselves. Northern, sure. of course, has denied these allegations, and that case is still pending. Hmm. Um. So the message here is not that cash advances are bad. There are plenty of merchant success stories that involve these type of uh, funding arrangements. But it's important to do your homework as an ISO or an agent 
before aligning your business with an alternative lender. After all, no one wants to alienate customers because of unsavory partners. I actually have a funny story about this that I have to share. Sure. So I, I, uh, I alluded to it in the interview we did a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so what happened was, so our instant quote tool, when we first rolled that out, we were getting our recurring payments from Stripe. You know, we were using Stripe. Right. Uh, so we have a small recurring income there. We moved over to NMI, and we have a direct integration now and all that. But mm-hmm. originally, Stripe was just easier to use, so we integrated there. So anyway, uh, I'm going through my email. This is like maybe a month and a half ago, maybe a month ago. And I'm going through my email, and I get this. Uh, I have this email from Stripe. It says, hey, uh, you know, I don't know the exact wording, but we'd like to loan you $5,000. Click here to receive your $5,000. Now, I don't need the money, but being in the industry I'm in, I thought, I want to see... How this works. Yeah, I want to see what's the next step. Right. Right? Like, I kind of wanted to... I wasn't planning to obviously go through with the process because I thought the interest is probably ridiculous, but, you know, let's take a look at this. I click this button in this email. Uh Uh-huh. So I am then taken to Stripe, and it says, sign in. I sign in. When I sign in, the screen says, thank you for borrowing $5,000. You will receive your funds tomorrow. Wow. (laughs) So uh, now the funny thing is, uh, you know, I was, of course, rather shocked. I reached out to Stripe and there really wasn't anything I could do because, because, again, it's not a loan. It didn't actually say thank you for borrowing. It said we've advanced you $5,000, you know, the wording. Sure. But, you know, the idea is they bought, you know, the next Whatever it was, well, it was the next fifty five hundred, I think, or something like that. Okay. You know, because they're getting ten percent right. interest or something. So, um, you know, it's kind of funny on a couple of levels. I mean, since then, um, uh, the accounting, you know, of of now we're tracking that as an interest expense and everything like that. Uh-huh. Um, it's been really interesting for Marvin, who does our accounting. Uh, you know, in QuickBooks, uh, putting stuff in there, and you know, we've had gone round and round a few times trying to figure out what on earth are they charging us? How mm-hmm. are they? How are they determining mm-hmm. the amount? Uh, when is, oh my goodness, you know what I mean? And so it's been an interesting kind of positive and negative experience. You know, I could definitely see from a small business owner's perspective, it is pretty cool. I mean, if I actually needed the 5,000, I probably would have been excited about it. Sure. (laughs) I didn't, so I wasn't so much. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, that's a large enough transaction that I'm not sure it needs to be quite that smooth. Right. You know, I feel like maybe I, uh, there could have been a little more resistance. Or there. how about, you know, even an electronic signature? Like, uh, right. like, this is the loan. These are our terms. Check here if you agree. Right. And, you yeah. know, and I even think about, you know, some of my employees have access to Stripe. And, you know, and so, uh-huh. I, yeah, I don't know. It seemed a little bit like, wow, that was a little bit too easy. That was too easy. I would agree. You know what I mean? I would agree. So, but I, I think so. I think a couple takeaways from all this for me is, as an agent, you know, I like the idea of, of these this new technology where you could potentially go out in the field and just say to a merchant, "Hey, you know what? Here's the options that we have for you. Here's your offer, mm-hmm. um, and things like that." I think that's exciting, and I think they should reach out to companies like you know Rapid Advance and stuff that we've talked sure. to there. Um, but at the same time, I think you also want to realize that these are generally speaking, even I mean, five thousand is a really small advance. Sure. But even that, I mean, that's five thousand dollars. I mean, it's it's enough that it's like you got to take it serious enough to like talk it through a little bit. And you got to re- you know? have a plan for repay. You know, am I going to be able to repay right. this? And like talk to your merchant about how does it really work? Right. How much is going to come out a day? You know, what like does it come out weekly, daily? What? How does it come out? You know, you got to like they need to know what's going on. Exactly. Otherwise, you're going to get some upset customers like me, who's you know at some point hopefully going to be able to get a hold of Stripe and say. 
you know, what's the deal here? Like, how are, how do I even know what you're taking out and when and why? And like, right. I got to put this in my accounting software. And yeah, I mean, it's know, some kind of so. like I said, some kind of disclosure you would you would right. want to have involved with exactly. That. And I'm sure that that disclosure was presented in you know font four right at the very bottom of the page with an asterisk next to it. Right. You know, after I had already clicked that I wanted it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, so you know, I don't know. I feel like uh, it was an interesting experience to kind of see how uh, merchant funding, how far it's progressed. Sure. And I do think that's the future. I think that. You know, I think credit card processing companies are going to start to integrate with these company, these these uh, you know advanced companies to make custom offers to their merchants. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's exciting. That's an opportunity for agents and ISOs. But at the same time, I think you know there's still got to be that consultative role a little bit, as uh, Mark alluded to earlier, right. where they got to know what they're getting. Yeah, I agree. So good stuff. Okay. This is questions from the field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So the question I want to talk about today is uh, a really interesting one, and that is, do I have a business or do I work a job? And so mm-hmm. this this question is really uh, aimed at merchant sales reps. And again, on this segment of the show, I've kind of transitioned to, to really answering kind of... Um, I don't know the right word for it, but questions where it's like I've gotten the same kind of general issue over about 50 over. times. Right. You know? Sure. Um, and this is a really common one. And so, you know, when you get into merchant services, you have to answer the question of, do I have a job or do I have a business? Mm-hmm. And I have actually a pretty solid answer for that, uh, that I advise salespeople. And my answer is really simple. And that is, if you have less than $10,000 a month in residual, you have a job. Mm-hmm. You need to treat it like a job, is what I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have more than ten thousand a month in residual, now you can start thinking of it a little more as a business. You might even consider, you know, hiring some people or doing some things to grow your your business out. But I think it's really important coming into initially that it's like a job. And let me explain a little more of what I mean by that. You know, one of the big misconceptions about uh, two big misconceptions when people get into selling merchant services from selling insurance, selling houses, selling cars, uh, you know, selling pharmaceuticals. When they get into selling merchant services, the two big mistakes they make is, number one, they think of it as this opportunity to break free from the nine-to-five schedule. Right. You know, well, I'm, I'm independent now. I'm a, I'm a business owner. You're giving up nine-to-five for seven to midnight. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or what, what more likely happens is you're giving up nine-to-five so that you can work 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. with a one-hour lunch in the middle, and you're going to do that for about three months, and then you're going to go back to 9 to 5 because you're broke. Mm-hmm. And that's what seems to happen a lot. Is they get the idea of, well, I'm a, I'm a business owner. That means I just do whatever I want to do. No, you have a job. It's just that you just so happen to work for yourself. Right. So you need to make sure you have hours of, you know, set hours and all that. And I've been, really been interested as I work with a lot of agents through our six-week jumpstart program and really gotten a lot, kind of a deep dive into their world. Mm-hmm. And I've really been amazed at the lack of structure. Honestly, I really have. Really? I've really been amazed at the the decision making and and 
you know, not that it's this, uh, you know, anything against any of them. They're all amazing salespeople that I've talked to um, with a lot of potential. But, you know, just things of, you know, yeah, we're going to we're heading out of town or, hey, I had this come up and I'm going to go do this or that or the other thing. And I kind of like in my mind, you know, I, well, I don't say it usually. Sometimes I do. But a lot of times in my mind, I'm thinking, but but like how many days off do you have? Like right. you work a job. Right. But they don't think of it that way. They think of it as this business that's this freeing experience for them rather than there's a job and there are constraints. Mm -hmm. Like if you work a nine to five job and your dog is sick, well, then you have a couple of choices. Certainly you may decide to take a personal day. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's you only have like four of those. You know, like right, there's right. constraints. Like right. if you're if you get up and you're not feeling well. You know, on a scale of one to ten, instead of a ten, you're like a seven. You know, you're like, eh, do I want to use one of my sick days today? Right. I don't think so. I think I'm just going to go to work. Right. Well, if you sell merchant services, you think, I think I'm going to watch Netflix today, and then who cares how many days I do this? Mm -hmm. And it's like you can't be successful like that. So that's one big issue. The other big issue is people misunderstand the type of job that this is. Most people think that this is a type of job like building a house, architecting a house, this this huge grand master plan with strategy and all these different things, when the truth is that most of this job is more like shoveling coal. Mm. And what I mean by that is it's not complicated. Right. It's just hard work. Right. And so it's not about, you know, oh, I really need to get my master plan in place here and everything. No, you just need to start shoveling coal. In this case, that's prospecting. Right. Nobody loves prospecting. I've never talked to anybody that's like, oh, yes, I can't it's wait. my favorite part of the job. Right. And so you're not going to love the act of going out prospecting. Once you start having a good conversation with a decision maker, you know, qualified contact, hopefully you enjoy that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be very good at sales. But, you know, kind of this concept of, you know, uh, boy, this is so complicated. I need to get a big plan. And I need no, no, no. Just go prospecting. Right. And and then you put that together with the job and the structure and all of a sudden you have a, a, a scenario there where you could be successful. Mm -hmm. Now you have a situation where you say, you know what, uh, all I'm going to do is every day I'm going to go out and work nine to five. And, and I it's again, it's it really I think more than anything else about dealing with independent agents in our industry. The thing that has surprised me the most over the years is that they just don't think that way. And, and I don't know how to how to help. You know, I'm like, yeah, look, I can't yeah. steer a parked car right. like, you know, you have to go to work. Right. I, I just don't understand. Like, so I, maybe, you know, one thing I thought would help on the podcast is just to be really clear. Maybe right now you're listening to this podcast. You're still at home. You know, it's 10 a.m. I mean, just to be really clear, if it's between the hours of 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. and it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or Friday and you're not working right now, you are on a track to failure. Right. Right. <laughs> like. Hello. <laughs> I mean, what you're saying really is you're giving up a mind nine, one nine to five job for another for another nine, nine to five job until you get ten thousand a month in residual. Right. Once you have ten thousand a month in residual, maybe you say at that point, you know what? I want to take uh, two days a week to golf. Well, have fun. You make hundred twenty thousand a year. You know, that's fine. Go for it. Yeah. Follow up. You know, keep make you know make sure you're maintaining your portfolio. Maybe you don't want to build a multi million dollar business. You're very happy with ten thousand a month residual. Great. Enjoy it. But in this industry, and, and again, maybe your number's a little different than mine. Maybe your number's five thousand or, or eight thousand or whatever. But you know, whatever that number is, set that number. And in the meantime, you've got to work a job. Mm -hmm. And one last tip I'll give you. This came from a conversation I had two days ago with a good friend of mine, actually an agent that I had worked with, and he and I know each other from way back. Um, and he and I were talking, and he's now on the other side of this equation. So he is at 250000 a year residual, mm -hmm. okay? Um, 
doesn't have to work for, you know, he could work five or six hours a week and make that money, mm-hmm. right? And so now he's like, you know, James, I really want to get to that next level, you know, and, and so what do I have to do to break through and get to, okay, I want to get to 500000 a year. And I said, well, you got to go back to work. Mm-hmm. You have to get a job again. You know, right, I said, you're going right. to go from making all this money, you're going to invest half of what you make, and you're going to be working 40, 50 hours a week. So my advice to you is not necessarily to do that. My advice is make a decision. Don't dip your toe in the water. You know what? I think I am going to start building my portfolio again. I'm going to put 10 or 15 hours a week into this and see what I can get. Mm-hmm. Wrong. You're, I'll tell you what you're going to get. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get annoyed. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. Either go back to work or enjoy yourself. Hey, you make $20,000 a month. Good for you. You want to take some time with the family and whatever. Awesome. But it, But it's a binary decision. You either have a job or you don't. If you are wanting to grow and move forward and build something, right. whether you're a business owner or an employee or whatever, you got to go to work. Right. And when you go to work, do the hard work. Shovel the coal. Go prospecting. Do those nitty-gritty things you need to do to grow your portfolio and to grow that business and grow your income, the things that maybe everybody else doesn't want to do either. That's what's really going to set you apart. Yeah, I agree. So there you go. There's your advice for the day. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.